Good morning. Um, I've been asked this question several times, but I have not been asked this question by every one of you. So I'll go ahead and answer it because I think you're all asking it at some point. There's so many chairs in this room this morning because there is a, a preschool graduation in this room tomorrow and uh, they ask us, they set it up and they ask us to, to leave it as best we could. So that's why there's, there's so many chairs in here. There'll be lots of parents and grandparents cheering and crying at their little five-year-olds that are um, graduating from preschool. We do graduations like all the time now, right? We graduate from this and let's have a graduation. Kindergarten, preschool, I'll be at an eighth grade graduation this week. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray because I, w- I want to get us focused on, uh, on the gospel this morning and what God has for us. God, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather and study your word and be changed by your word and be encouraged by the truth of your gospel. You are a holy and beautiful and amazing God, and we love you, and I ask that your gospel would be on display this morning in uh, the things that we think and the things that I say this morning, and may you, uh, you be glorified, and may, may you free us from distraction this morning, and free us from the distraction of error this morning, Father. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Uh, we're going to bounce around at the beginning, but a, a big part of where we'll be is in 2 Samuel 12, so uh, you can turn there if you want. Everything's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, but I've used this illustration a couple of times before. Um, one, of, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite movies is, uh, not, not a favorite movie, but uh, a really good movie is a movie with, uh, it's about boxing. Um, and it's, uh, name of it slipped my mind, Clint Eastwood, and he's got a daughter, and Million Dollar Baby, thank you. Um, clearly one of my favorite movies, I can't think of the name of it. <clears throat> um, if you were to ask people what that movie's about, it's about boxing. Uh, but really, it's, it's not about boxing. Boxing is the, the backdrop, but it's, it's really about um, redemption and brokenness and the restoration of, of a man who has had a, a broken relationship with his daughter and a, a different daughter and the redemption and restoration of and healing of a broken relationship with her father. And it's, that's what the movie is about, set in the context of boxing. Um, this morning, our message is about the gospel in the context of sex. Um, so I want to be clear about that at the top, that I'm going to talk a lot about sex this morning, but it's really about the gospel. Um, and really, everything that's happening in your life can have that, that same idea, is that it's about God weaving the gospel into your heart and applying it to a particular context. So like Million Dollar Baby, the context is boxing. This morning, the context is sex, but the, the, the topic, the real subject matter is the gospel. Um, this is the last of our sermon series, Not Your Own, and your sexuality is not your own. Um, that's kind of the, the simple, subtle way to say what, what God, I think, has to say to us this morning is the sexuality that you possess is a gift that was given to you by God for a purpose. 
And our culture does a really bad job of affirming what that purpose is. Um, So let's dig into Scripture and try to figure out what it is that God has given us this gift for, the purpose that he has given us this gift. Um, So let's turn to to Genesis chapter 2. Let's start at at the beginning with the the institution of marriage. And um, I'm going to say this as we go. I, I, I fully realize that there is a lot of um, sexual sin that's been perpetrated by people in this room. And there's been sexual sin that's been perpetrated against people in this room. Um, but God has a, a beautiful and wonderful plan for it, just as he has for everything. God has a beautiful and wonderful plan for everything, even the broken sin that you've perpetrated and even the broken sin that's been perpetrated against you. Um, I want to... I want that thread to be woven through the, the whole of, of what we talk about this morning. So Genesis chapter 2, um, we're going to break this one down pretty, pretty severely here. So Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want to talk specifically about four words, phrases that are here. Uh, it's, it's central for us to understand the purpose and the institution of marriage and, and what that's illustrating for us about who God is. Um, first, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. This word leave is the, the Hebrew word. Is, it's, a, it's literally a tearing away of the flesh. And I've taught about this before from this pulpit, what this actually means, the, the visual picture that I have is tearing off of, if I were to, to tear off my arm, that's this leaving. It's a physical, fleshly tearing away, ripping apart. If I tore my arm off, there would be blood on my, my torn off arm, there'd be blood on my shoulder, and it would be ugly and it'd be a mess. But that's the word picture that's being communicated here in the Hebrew. We are literally being torn away from our parents. And then hold fast to his wife. That's a different picture. It's, it's the same picture that Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. About when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So I think if, if we were to get a cut on our, on our body, it would be bloody, right? And then what would happen is a scab would, would form. And then after a week or so, that scab would fall off and we would have skin there. We would have flesh covering that wound, okay? That's exactly that picture. And, and I think God can do whatever God wants to do with how our bodies heal. I think he created the scab and he created the epidermis to teach us a spiritual picture of what he wanted to show to us. And this is the picture that he wants to show to us. It's a tearing away of our flesh and then a healing and a sealing to create one flesh. So imagine being torn away and then coming together with a wife, God creating a scab, and then God creating a flesh to be one person. That's the the spiritual word picture of what happens in a wedding. Two becoming one. Um, And I've 
this is something, the, the greatest illustration for me in the middle of this, uh, I, I don't know if you guys are like me or not, but when, when I'm away from my wife, if I have to go out of town for something or she has to go out of town for something, I have a really hard time sleeping because she's supposed to be there next to me. And, and I literally, I, it's, it's hard for me to sleep. And it's not some like sentimental, silly poetry thing. It's, it's not a, a, a Meg Ryan movie. It's st- with, with Tom Hanks. It's, it's, it's not what it is. It's, it's my one flesh. It's not there. And so it, it just, it's just not right. It, it's not full. It's not whole. And if, if you're like that, great. If you're not like that, that doesn't mean that you're not really one flesh. It just means that, that that's how one thing materializes itself for, for Jan and I. But the picture I, I, I want to create is, is, that, is that same picture. Is there's, we've been torn away and we've hold fast. And, and our language is so weak and feeble because we read this. He'll leave his mo- mother and father and be united, be fast to his wife. We don't see the spiritual word picture that's actually happening. The two shall become one flesh. One flesh is the other thing that I, I want to say. We become one flesh. And then the last thing, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. And this is where sexual perversion has destroyed our intimacy. Wives, do you like to be naked in front of your husband? Literally, fully naked in front of your husband. Chances are the answer to that question is no. Because you're completely aware of a scar, a fat roll, a something that you perceive as less than perfect. And worse, there may be a, a relationship in your past where someone has pointed that out to you and you feel broken about that. But here's what the gospel wants to say to you. I see, I accept. Can you please hear me? This is the gospel. When you are on full display Every bit of you, nothing hidden. What God intends for you is for your husband to say, I see and I fully accept. And may we, may we see the beauty of what God intends for you. And, and here's the other thing. You may be single here today and you may be single for the rest of your life. And you may never experience the fullness of that. In a, when, when a husband says to you, I see and I accept. But that's why I want to underscore this is the gospel. If you are single and if you call, are called to a, a full life of singleness, I hope that you know a good marriage where you can see a, a husband loving his wife well and, and see that and see the picture of God saying, I see and I accept. Adam and Eve, before, this is all before sin 
They were naked and they were unashamed. I don't care that you see my brokenness. But our world, our, our sexual world, and what we've been told is sexy. What we've been told ought to turn us on is something completely different than what Genesis 2, 24 and 25 is telling you. you. God has created one flesh. God has created the naked and unashamed. God has created you for one another. It's massive for us. Naked and unashamed. The next verse I want to deal with is Paul quoting these verses in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Read this with me. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul quoting Genesis. Then verse 32 is the new thing that we want to add here. This mystery is profound. That that word mystery is the Greek word mysterion, and it means a great mystery. Profound, crazy, unexplainable mystery. I can't explain it, but I know that it is. And that's marriage. I can't explain it, but I know that it is. There is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. If you're married here in this room, there is not a greater apologetic for the gospel than your marriage. What I mean by apologetic is, is not sorry. This apologetic is a, a proof of the existence of a thing. The study of apologetics is, a, is the study of a proof of a thing, and it applies to God a lot of times. We study apologetics, you're studying the proof of the existence of God. We can look at creation, we can see all, the, all those stuff is, the, is apologetic. In my mind, my opinion is the greatest apologetic for the existence of God is the marriage. Because, so many reasons. One, if I were to go out my, my marriage and why it's important to me and why I don't cheat on my wife and why I don't gratify my sexual pleasures however I want is because of who God is and what he's done and the picture that he's painting in marriage. The mystery is profound. What I'm saying is it refers to Christ and the church. Um, the becoming of one flesh, the leaving, the holding fast, the growth, the sacrifice, the respect, the submission of all things in theory and in practice, in oneness and in beauty, in intimacy, a, a, a profound vulnerability that can't be explained, but only experienced. This is the profound mystery of Christ and the church. And here's, here's the, the beautiful part about this is when you see or are engaged in a good marriage, you see the relationship that God intends for you to see and experience with him. And when you see and experience and watch someone be deeply and madly in love and vulnerable and uh, engaged with God and in love with Jesus... It teaches you about what a marriage is supposed to be. So what happens is these are rungs on a ladder. It's Christ in the church. 
It's a husband and wife. And you need to stand on this rung to reach this rung. And you stand, and pretty soon you're at unbelievable heights. They feed off of one another. And that's what Paul is teaching here. Um, I want to transition to teach about a Greek word, porneia. Um, porneia, you might sense we get our, our word pornography from the word porneia. It appears about 20 times in Scripture. And here's what it means. Um, it appears in Matthew 15 and Acts 15, Acts 20, Acts 29, Acts 21, 1 Corinthians 6. It, all of these verses talk about a call for us to avoid or flee from acts of porneia. Here's what porneia means. Illicit sexual intercourse, and more specifically, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals. This is gross, right? But this is what the Greek word porneia is directly referring to. Uh, Also, sexual intercourse with close relatives. Sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. So it's any sex outside of marriage is porneia. And this is, this is a, a big word. And, and I, I want you to see how God has, this, this, what this word is communicating, it's all of those things. Adultery and sex with animals. It's the same word. Lust and homosexuality. It's the same word. It's the same sin. All right? So before we go casting stones about a culture... In, this, in light of this subject, I want us to point a lot of fingers back at ourselves and see our desperate need to repent. I've, I've taught on that before. Here's something new that I found this week. The, the additional definition, the, the additional house that this word lives in is this metaphor of a worship of idols. Porneia is used in the Greek culture as a metaphor to communicate a worship of idols. I was astounded and spent about an hour thinking about that this week. Think about what an idol is. And here's, here's what I've found as a definition of, of an idol. It's giving authority, power, or worth, giving authority, power, or worth to something that doesn't deserve it or cannot withstand it. You say that again. An idol is giving authority or power or worth to something that doesn't deserve it or withstand it. Think about that in context of porneia. Giving authority. Do you see that? When, when you're at the keyboard, guys, giving authority to something that, cannot, that does not deserve that authority and it cannot withstand that authority. Giving power to something. Do you realize when you engage in lust, you are literally giving authority and power to something? 
And what you're giving your authority and your power to is something that doesn't deserve it and cannot withstand it. God has given you the gift of sexual desire. And the internet is incapable of withstanding that. And it does not deserve it. And here's the, the awful thing about this is I could, I could paint the most beautiful picture for you and, and we could all say amen to that and, and retweet that and, and get all excited about that. But you know what? It, it's, there's gonna, a moment of weakness is coming in your life where you're in front of that keyboard and you will fail. You will hear my words saying idol worship. You'll hear my words saying that authority and that power cannot withstand. It does not deserve the authority and power you get. And, and you will fail. You will fail. But God is rich in mercy and grace. And I also want to say that the, the result of us giving that, giving into that worship of that idol, saying that you, pornea, homosexuality, lust, fornication, sex with animals, you are more important to me in this moment than God is. That's, we're making a value assessment in that moment. But God is rich in mercy and full of grace. But the problem with sexual sin is the pain that comes and is associated with it, and we wind up with things like rape. We wind up things like incest. We wind up with things like abuse. We wind up with, with molestation. Because it's a, a horrific thing. But the scars that are created by, by rape and molestation are very similar to the scars that are created by every aspect of pornea. And this is the thing that's, that's really difficult because within this room is pornea everywhere. How embarrassed would we be if we were walking around with a, an LED scrolling light across us that, that said our sexual sin for this week? I promise you I would not be standing here in front of you. I'd be hiding somewhere where you couldn't see my... And that's who, where we are. That's where we live. That's the culture and society that we live in. But grace. Turn to uh, 2 Samuel, verse 12, and let's read an awful story of adultery. Before it... 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we're going to start, but I want to tell the story to begin with. David is king, the most powerful man in the world, and he's supposed to be away at war. He's not. He's at home chilling, and he looks across the way onto a rooftop and sees a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba, and he has his guys go get Bathsheba. She comes to him. He has sex with her, and a baby is born. Because this baby is born... He devises a plan. I'm going to bring her husband home and tell him, you've done a great job fighting the battle for Israel at war. I want you to go and, and have a sex weekend with your wife. 
then maybe people will think the baby is his and I'll be free from this. He's like, no way. Not going to do it. My guys are still at war, dying for this cause. I'm not going to do it. And David's like, all right. So he sends him back to battle, but he tells his leaders, send him to the front of the battle where he's sure to get killed. And he dies. So now David can, doesn't have to deal with Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, anymore. That's where we pick the story up in chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, Nathan is, is a prophet that's been around David for a while, a trusted and respected man of God to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of its morsel and drink of its cup and lie in its arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler who came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed them with the sword of the Ammonites. The Ammonites are the people Israel was at war with. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. We're getting now into the part where there are consequences to pornea. There are consequences to our sin. You are fully free, fully given grace. But there are consequences to your sin. In particular, in this case and in our time, our time, there are consequences to pornea. For David, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. In other words, David, you're going to be at war for the rest of your life. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your house. That means one of your kids is going to want to kill you. And I, do, you, do you realize that? That's like, I don't want to, this is a story we've read before probably. I don't want to pass by that. One of your, David, because of what you have done, one of your kids is going to want to kill you. I hope you see the gravity of sin. Uh, halfway through verse 11. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. I don't even want to get into the reality of that. 
for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. I want you to hear, if you hear one thing this morning, I want you to hear that verse. The Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. Cooper, put that verse up there, that song we sang. We sang this song today. And I asked Cooper to, to fire this at this point in the sermon. We just sang this. And these words that we're singing is the application of the Lord has put away your sin. So wherever you find yourself, whatever sin you find yourself in, but in particular, whatever, wherever you find yourself from a, in terms of your sexual sin, in terms of, of your porneia, because the Lord has put away your sin, we can confidently say this. In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. Your debt is paid. Everybody say that with me today. My debt is paid. Let's do that again. My debt is paid. Like, let's throw a party. My debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. There's consequences to your sin, and the consequences of David's sin are massive, and we haven't even begun to get to them yet. But Christ has paid the penalty for David's sin and for your sin and for my sin. And the result of that is that my debt is paid. Let's get back to our verse. Verse 13, let's read that one again. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. Because of what you have done, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Like, don't, don't miss the gravity of that. The consequence for this particular sin, and I'm not saying all child's children born of adultery or born out of the context of marriage will die. That's not what he's... But David's particular consequence of this sin is that this kid is going to die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him, beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day... Don't miss that. David is laying on the ground, not eating, laying on the ground for seven days. And by the way, God was, I believe, God was writing Psalm 51 on his heart during those seven days. Talk about that in a second. Verse 18, on the seventh day, the child died. 
And the servants of David were afraid to tell him the child that was dead. For they said, Behold, when the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How can we say to him, This child is dead? He may do himself harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Verse 20, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Let's go back up to the first part of verse 20. This is where I want to focus on. Then David arose. After his, his son died, David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Think about what he, like his son just died. And David's response, I'm going to clean myself off and I'm going to go and worship the Lord. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? He did that because I think he heard Nathan saying, the Lord has put away your sin. Because he deserved death. What he got was life. And think about worship of idols. Think about that definition. We're assigning worth and value to something that doesn't deserve and cannot withstand it. God deserves and can withstand. And it's beautiful. And here, we've seen the consequence of sin for David was the sword will never depart from you. Your enemies will have your wives. Your son will die. One of your children will want to kill you. Those are consequences of David's sin. But the, the redemption of this story, let me tell you a few things. Um, the end of this story is Solomon. King Solomon was the next child that Bathsheba bore to David. Solomon built the, the temple of Israel. This grand, beautiful thing, Solomon built it. This is the result of the redemption of God. So wherever you find yourselves, practically speaking, there are consequences to your sin, but there are beautiful redemption stories that God will tell. For those who are currently engaged in porneia or are reaping the consequence of porneia, hear this, please. The result of David's sin is Solomon. The result of the redemption, God's redemption of David's sin is Solomon. Do you know the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon? Beautiful, strong wisdom. Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. Two major books of the Old Testament are the redemption story of God from this particular ugly, awful, pornea sin. Psalm 51, in, in a few weeks, there's a, a friend of mine, a guy named Kenny Petty, who's going to come and, and, and tell a story, his story, and it's about him being in prison and uh, an old preacher coming in and giving him a Bible and him finding Psalm 51. 
and that ministering to his heart and changing his life from a, a murdering thug gangbanger to a preacher. So the result of David's sin is the result of the story you guys are going to hear in a few weeks. Psalm 51. If you have been affected in any way by Psalm 51, if better yet, if you've been affected in any way by any psalm, that's redemption of God working through the pornea of David's life. And, and here's, here's the coolest thing that's the result of that. If we trace back the line of Jesus, we trace it back to that relationship. So, the beautiful, redeeming love of God, the result of the redemption of God is Jesus. Seriously. Think about that. When, you're, when the enemy is lying to you about your sin and the lifetime of consequences of that sin, say to the enemy in that moment, Jesus. Because the, res, the, the literal result of... The, the, Seriously, the literal result of David's sin is Jesus. God could do whatever he wanted to. He could have brought Jesus into the world however he wanted to. The way he decided to was to bring this king that he anointed, that he set up, David, and he would screw up massively. But I'm going to bring Jesus through that. What a wonderfully poetic and creative God. But more than that, what a wonderfully good and grace-filled God. He has put away your sin. And he has redeemed it. Even if you don't know it now. Do you think those seven days, David lying on the floor, hungry. Do you think... He thought, he knew that Jesus was coming from his line. No. But he is. Redemption is coming. Jesus is coming. Let's pray and worship our God. God, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you so much for... Jesus, I thank you that you are a redeeming God. God, teach us what redemption means. Teach us to trust in the middle of our brokenness that redemption is coming. God, teach us. God, give us the courage and authority and ability to, to, to say no to sin, to say no to pornea. Give us the courage and ability to not live in the past defeated by our sin, but victorious because God has put it away. And God, may we ever keep our eyes on the redeeming and beautiful love of your Son, Jesus. You are a good and holy God, and we love you in Christ's name.
Um, as we respond to the Lord, here, here's what I want you to hear. If the church is not a place for the sexually broken, then it's not a place for anyone. Do you hear that? So maybe you sit under the weight of all that was just said, and you're just like, oh my gosh, i got to get out of here. <laughs> I'm a mess. Listen, if the church isn't a place for the sexually broken, it's not a place for anyone. Because we're all a mess. And part of what responding to the Lord looks like right now is submitting to God's good design. Because right now we want to be like, well, here's how I want it to work. Here's how I think it should go. Well, I don't know that that's ever really worked for any of us yet. So as we respond to the Lord, one, what we want to hear you say, or what what I want you to hear is that there's grace and forgiveness for all of your brokenness. As we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and some of you maybe the words that were spoken this morning have, have just put a huge weight, and the conviction of the Spirit has just put a huge weight on you. Maybe of something that's deeply hidden, maybe something you've never spoken about. Now, I want to say, one, praise God that the conviction is there. But two, I want to say, this is a place for you to find hope. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And the the communion is up front for us to, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to depict and see the picture of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, offering forgiveness and grace. And I want you to celebrate that this morning. But the other thing I want you to hear too is this. The consequences and the impact of the brokenness that we've walked in as people those can be long-lasting. And I just want you to know that, one, you have a home here, and you can find hope and help here, and we want to journey with you. This is a community of people that want to journey with you. And so we're going to stand, and we're going to sing, and we're going to celebrate. There's forgiveness, and there's grace in the cross. But I want to, what I want us also to hear this morning is that in the midst of that celebration, we're going to walk out that door, and some of you are in some deep deep struggles and you're losing because you're you're alone and where you're alone you're in trouble and the purpose of this body is to say you're not alone one you have Christ but two you have a people here you have a people here. You have elders here who want to grab you and hold you and hug you and, and enter into where you've been hurt and where you're struggling and where you're in deep, deep bondage. And maybe you don't even know the first step out. And so as we stand and we sing and we celebrate the freedom that's in Christ, and can I just say, You need to speak out where you're hurting. You need to speak out where you're in bondage. We'll be in the back. We want to pray with you. We want to journey with you. You're not going to shock us. We're not going to kick you out. We're not going to say, get away. Like, we want to to be here for you. Listen, if the church isn't a place for the sexually broken, then all of us need to leave. You're welcome here. So why don't we do that? Why don't we turn to the Lord and celebrate all that he's done for us? And we'll be in the back to pray with you, to talk with you. Um, 
Let's celebrate the forgiving love of Jesus Christ and the hope that's found in the cross as we sing.